morning. If you have your Bibles uh, with you, uh, you can turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We'll also have it uh, up on the screen as well. If you have it uh, on your phones, you can um, go to the New Living Translation, and uh, that would be fine. That's what we'll be reading from Mark chapter 16. Uh, Mark 16. We're just going to look at the first eight verses. How many are glad that you got up this morning? Amen? <laughs> Some of you, all right? It was a little bit chilly today, but the sun is out, and I am grateful for that. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse number one, Mark 16, verse number one. And I just took a look here this morning, and apparently nobody wants to be, I guess, in the spit zone here up front. Uh, the front row is... Uh, um, you all are in trouble, but everyone else should be okay. Mark 16, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that they had that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. So when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man there clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, the angel said, this is where they laid his body. Verse 7, the angel then said to them, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And then finally, verse 8 the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for your word, your living word. And I pray that in these next few moments, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every person in this room today. Lord, we are gathered here today to worship a God who is alive. And so I pray this morning that as your living word is spoken out of my mouth, I pray that every word that is spoken will begin to speak and challenge and convict our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, help me to speak not a single word of my own, but help me to declare your word with boldness, with clarity, and with simplicity. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to decrease and help you to increase and be the focus of our time together in this place today. God, may everything that we do bring glory and honor to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think all of us know by now that today is a pretty great day, um, certainly a great day in the scope of history for uh, all of humanity. When I began to think about great days in history, and I'm certain if I were to take a poll all across this room today, there would be several dates that you would give to me, days that maybe are special to you, 
dates that you recall that are significant, whether it's anniversaries or birthdays or very significant things that have happened in your life. When we think about great days throughout the scope of history, there's a lot of days that we could point to. I don't know about you in this room. Um, I don't know if this date means anything to some of you. November 2nd, 2016 was a very great day in the city of Chicago. It was the day that the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> Any Chicago Cub, Cubs fans in here? Probably more Reds fans than Cubs, I'm guessing. Um, but it was a great day in the city of Chicago. The Cubs won the World Series after almost 100 years, um, 1908 being the last time. It was a, a thrilling Game 7 against the Cleveland Indians, an 8-7 to seven victory for the Cubs. There's other great days I could point to. October 6, 2019 was a very special day for, for Glad Tidings Church as a whole. It was a day that we celebrated our 100th anniversary as a congregation. And then following that Sunday on October 13, 2019, is the day uh, that we launched Glad Tidings here in Dunkirk, Indiana. Certainly a great day for the life and the history of this church. And there's certainly other days that I could point to. September 22, 1987, it was a beautiful day. It was the day that I was born, all right? <laughs> Thought I'd throw that out there for you in case anybody needed to know. Um, songwriter Tim Hughes wrote a song that maybe some of you are familiar with, a song that would have been very appropriate for today called Happy Day. And these are the lyrics, at least the first portion of this song. You'll see them up on the screen. It says, the greatest day in history, death is beaten. You have rescued me. Sing it out. Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave, life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it all, Jesus is alive. I think that song and those lyrics are absolutely appropriate for today as we celebrate the risen Christ. I wanna just talk a little bit about, I think it's appropriate, I think you would expect that we talk about the resurrection of Jesus this morning but I want to, first of all, just mention that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and I want you to hear me, is the greatest day in history. No other day compares to this day. The day that Christ uh, arose from the grave, the day that the tomb was empty, I could point you, and I'm certainly, you could point to several great days in history, days that you remember, days that were significant for our world or for our country, but no day compares to Resurrection Sunday. It is the day that Christ is alive, and it is crucial to our faith as believers. Despite what skeptics may say, the resurrection of Jesus is real, and it's why we gather here every single week. Paul even talks about if, if Christ is not raised, uh, we are still dead in our sins. And so it is essential to our faith as believers that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the grave and that the tomb is empty. The resurrection of Christ, I think all of you would agree this morning, it changed the trajectory of history, changed everything. The moment that Christ came out of that grave, the tomb was empty, everything changed for all of humanity. One writer speaking of the resurrection and its proof says this, science says if there is any such thing as infallible proof, 
It is the repetition of the same experiment. Jesus rose from the dead and Mary Magdalene encountered him, experiment one. The women encountered him, experiment two. The disciples encountered him, experiment three. The apostles encountered him, experiment four. 500 people saw him after the resurrection, experiment five. And each one of these is the repetition of the same experiment. They all encountered the same phenomenon. And what was that? It was that Jesus was alive. And that's what changed the history of our world. On this Easter Sunday morning, 2022, I want to spend just a few moments, and I will be, I promise I'll be brief this morning. I want to spend just a few minutes examining why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is indeed the greatest day in history. Let me just begin with this statement. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest day in history because the resurrection of Jesus is proof to you, to me, and to everyone that death does not have the final word. Can I get an amen? How many are thankful that death does not have the final word? Let's go back to our text in Mark chapter 16 and listen to what the angel said. The angel said to, and this, the women now, they've come into the tomb. They were concerned that morning because they were trying to figure out how are we going to anoint the dead body of Jesus with this large stone in front of the tomb. But when they arrive at the tomb, the, the, the stone has been rolled aside. So they go in and there's this angel sitting there and the angel says to the women, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they lay, laid his body. Here's what I want you to see this morning. That angelic announcement to the women would change the trajectory of the women at the empty tomb. Here's here's what I want you to see this morning. The women that morning, when they woke up, they had already purchased their spices as per the custom to anoint dead bodies. They were on their way early that morning. The sun was rising and they were on their way to the tomb to do one thing. They were on their way to the tomb to anoint this dead body of Jesus per the burial customs of the day. And so they're on their way and they're concerned about how they're gonna get into the tomb and they're having this discussion back and forth and they arrive and they realize the tomb had, the the stone had been rolled aside and they walk into this empty tomb. They came with spices to anoint the dead body of Jesus. But when they left that morning on Resurrection Sunday, they left with a renewed hope because Jesus, who, as the angel said, who was crucified, He is alive. Look how it changed their perspective and their trajectory that morning. They came to the tomb to do one thing, to anoint the dead body of Jesus. But when they encountered that Jesus Christ had indeed come out of the grave, they left with a renewed passion and a renewed hope. Jesus is alive. And so no longer did they need those spices to anoint a dead body. There was no dead body to anoint. And so that announcement to those women, it changed the trajectory and their perspective that morning, that death does not have the final word. If we too, and I want you to see this this morning, if we too embrace the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, that death does not have the final word, I can promise you this morning that it will change the trajectory of your life as well. 
question is how. How does, how does embracing this truth, how does it change my life? How does it change my perspective? Well, first of all, we will stop living life with a worldly mentality where we're trying to live our best life now and start living as citizens of heaven. I want you to see this this morning. If, if we embrace the truth of the resurrection, that death indeed does not have the final word, then, then really as, as followers here on, on, on earth and as believers uh, in Jesus Christ, this is the reality. We don't need to, to live our best life here and now. If Jesus is alive and there is hope that we will one day spend eternity in his presence, then, then we shouldn't have this mentality that, man, I need to live my best life here and now. I need to acclaim everything I can. I need to get as much as I can because once death comes, that's it. But if we believe that death does not have the final word, then, then it's not really about what we can get or accomplish here on earth. It's about living our lives to reflect the image of our risen Lord and Savior. And so if we embrace this truth that death does not have the final word, it will change how we live. We won't uh, buy into this idea that I I need to live my best life now because once I hit the grave, that's it. No, there's something beyond the grave. And there is hope for believers that we can spend eternity in God's presence. And so it will change how we live and how we think. Also, number two, and I think this is key for probably many of us in here this morning, if we embrace the resurrection, that death does not have the final word. We won't see physical death as something to be afraid of because something greater is in store for the believer. I know sometimes, and I, I think if we're all honest, we've all done it. We've thought about, we've thought about death. We've thought about that moment where maybe we're, we will breathe our last and we come up with scenarios in our minds and thinking about how awful it will be. But let me just remind you as believers, if we embrace the truth, if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is indeed alive and that death does not have the final word, for the believer, we have nothing to fear because there is something greater, something better in store for us when we will spend eternity in God's presence. And let me tell you, we, we can have the biggest and greatest imagination ever and, and, and put together what heaven's gonna look like, but I promise you it's gonna be so much better than what you think, all right? It, it's, our, our imagination can only go so far, and I can tell you God will trump that times 150. It will be so much better than what we can even imagine. Paul, I want, I want you to see this. Paul had this mentality. Paul did not fear death. Listen to what he said when he was writing to the church at Philippi. He said, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, listen, this is what Paul says. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. Paul says, I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ because he knows eternity and God's presence is gonna be so much better than his life here on earth. But he also knows that he has been given a mission and a purpose and and his time here on earth means more fruitful work for the ministry and the kingdom of God. But Paul understood it. Paul got, he didn't fear death. 
That's why he was able to go into places and, and, and oftentimes he was beaten and if it was gonna be his last breath, he didn't care because he knew that he was faithful to the work God had called him to and even if it was his last breath, he would then spend eternity in God's presence. He knew death did not and would not have the final word. I think this, this truth is why missionaries, some of the missionaries that, that we know that, that go into hard places, places where there is no access to the gospel, places where if they even say the word Jesus, they could be literally killed for proclaiming the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. I think it's this truth that death does not have the final word that allows them to go into those hard places. It certainly allowed some of the the first apostles and Peter and James and John. Peter was crucified upside down. Some were were filleted alive. Some were burned at the stakes. Polycarp was one of the uh, early Christian martyrs. And I think they were able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and not fear death because they knew that death did not have the final word. So if we can embrace that truth, it will change our perspective. Number two, why is the resurrection the greatest day in history. It's the greatest day in history because the resurrection is a loud announcement to us and to the entire world that nothing, absolutely nothing can thwart the plans of God. Listen to how it unfolds in Acts. Acts chapter 2, Peter. Peter is preaching this phenomenal sermon. Acts chapter 2, he stands up on the day of Pentecost and he begins to preach. And I want you to keep in mind, it's so powerful. 3,000 people are saved that day. Listen to the words of Peter. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his, look at this, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Here, here's what I want you to see this morning. The Jews and the religious leaders who were fed up with Jesus' rise to fame, they thought they could eliminate their thorn in the flesh. They thought they had devised this perfect plan that would get rid of Jesus. They were tired of hearing about him. They were tired of being compared to him. They didn't want to hear anything more about his ministry, and they thought they came up with the perfect plan to get rid of Jesus. Yet little did they realize, not only were they not bringing an end to God's purposes, their very actions were actually a part of God's greater plan of salvation. They had no idea that the scheme that they were planning was actually part of God's greater plan to bring salvation to humanity. And I want to encourage you and just remind you this morning that the plan that God has for you cannot be spoiled by some external force or some other human initiative. Certainly, every one of us in this room, we can choose to resist what God has in store for us. We can choose to say no to it. But there is no external force. If God has a plan and a purpose for your life, there's no external force or circumstance that can spoil that plan. Is it gonna look like what you think it should look like? Probably not. But, but keep in mind, even these Jews and these religious leaders thought they had devised this perfect plan. Little did they realize they were actually part of God's plan to bring salvation to humanity. And so God is able to take what looks ugly, what looks chaotic, what looks uh, horrible, and he can use that and redeem it for his purposes. 
And so if we choose to embrace his plan, no matter the external circumstances, in the end, his ways do indeed prosper. What does the wise proverb writer say? No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. Psalm 33, verse 10, the psalmist says, the Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and he thwarts all of their schemes, but the Lord's plans, they stand firm forever and they can never be shaken. Just as a quick sidebar this morning, I can tell you right now, if, if, if in my, from my perspective, I wanna make certain that I am adhering to his plans and not my own. Um, my plans, if they don't line up with, with his, uh, then I need to make certain that I get those in check. The resurrection should allow us to walk in confidence that God's ways will prosper instead of constantly walking in defeat. I know, folks, when we turn on the news, I know it looks like we are constantly surrounded by chaos, confusion, and godlessness, and it's very easy to be uh, frustrated with what's happening around us. But I just want to encourage you this morning that even in the midst of all of the confusion, the chaos, and the godlessness that we may see happening around us, near us, to us, God is still working. And no matter what external pressure comes his way, there is nothing that can thwart, nothing that can deter, nothing that can destroy God's purposes and his plans. Again, we can refuse it, we can reject it, but God is still working and he is still moving. And the resurrection is proof of that. It is a loud announcement that he is still working and nothing can thwart his plans. Finally, number three, why is the resurrection the greatest day in history. It's because the resurrection, and this might be my favorite one this morning, the resurrection is an open door for new beginnings. How many, how many like new beginnings, fresh starts? Um, and my guess is all of us that raised our hand probably have had a few fresh starts or new beginnings in our life. I want you to read this again in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. And I want to point this out to you. Listen to what the angel says. So the women, now they're in the tomb. And the angel has declared that Jesus is not here. He is alive. His body where he was supposed to be is gone. And then the angel says to the women, now go and tell his disciples, and I love this, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. Now, when we read through scripture, we probably read over that time after time again, but but this is significant, that the angel would say, go tell the disciples, including Peter. Why Peter? Let me tell you a little bit about Peter's story for just a minute this morning. Peter was the disciple that was the most verbal and outspoken of them all. He was a fisherman, but he was the guy that spoke before he allowed his mind to process all right, there might be some of you in this room that are just like Peter, all right? We don't allow our minds, our thoughts to process first and we speak up anyways. That's who Peter was. Peter would always say something and then it was like, oh, I should have thought about that before I said it. That's who Peter was. He was the disciple who made the bold confession uh, in, in Mark chapter nine when Jesus was saying, who do people say that I am? And some say a prophet, some say Jeremiah, some say Elijah, but then Peter declares boldly as at least in that moment, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter was a part of the inner three, 
the three disciples that had a more intimate relationship with Jesus, uh, Peter, James, and John. Peter got to experience more miracles and, and some of the teachings of Jesus that some of the other disciples did not get to sit on. You know, if you remember the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, where, where Jesus goes onto the top of the mountain, and who comes with him? Peter, James, and John. They got to witness something that some of the other disciples did not. Jesus actually predicted that Peter would deny Jesus three times before his death and crucifixion. But Peter, bold Peter, that spoke before he thought, what did he say? Absolutely not, Lord. I'll never deny you. Look at what he says in Matthew 26, verse 35. When, when Jesus predicts Peter's denial, he says, no, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the other disciples, they vowed the same. Fast forward a little bit, Passion Week. Jesus now has been arrested in the garden. He's being taken to be crucified. Almost all of the disciples have fled. They're gone. Feared for their lives. They didn't want to be associated with this man because they didn't know what it meant for them. They feared death. Peter, bold Peter, who said, no, Lord, I will never deny you. Peter, three different times when he was asked, weren't you one of the disciples? Weren't you the guy that, that spent time with this? No, I never knew him. Must have been somebody else. That must be my twin brother, my lookalike. He denied knowing Jesus three times. Peter failed miserably. What's interesting actually is in Luke's gospel, I believe it gives the accounts that on the third time after the rooster crowed that Jesus's eyes and Peter's eyes actually lock. Whether they physically saw one another, I doubt it, but there was this intense connection in that moment when the rooster crowed. Peter realized that he royally screwed up. He had denied the man that he had spent three years with, listening to, being taught by, experiencing miracles, and he said, I don't even know this man. Failed miserably. Because of that, Peter, and he was full of incredible guilt, shame. He considered himself a complete failure because now Jesus, the man that he had committed his last three years to, now Jesus was being crucified upon a cross and he would never have an opportunity, at least in his mind, to be reconciled back to this man. And he was, he was hurting for three days he was guilty, he was full of shame. I'm certain that he was sick to his stomach as he thought about what he had just done. Denied the very man that he had just spent three years with, the man that he had committed his life to. All hopes and dreams appeared to be shattered. The disciples, they scattered except John. John stayed behind. Complete and utter failure, shame, guilt, Seems like no hope is left but the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest day in history. It changes everything. If you eliminate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Peter is still full of guilt and shame 
and feelings of failure and complete disappointment. But when you insert the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. That's why it is the greatest day in history. What does the resurrection bring? The resurrection brings new life, brings new beginnings. It offers a fresh start. I want you to hear the words again of the angel's announcement. When the angel was talking to the women, he said, now go and tell the disciples, including Peter. What was Mark doing here in Mark chapter 16? He was hinting at the possibility of a restoration between Peter and between Jesus. He said, I want you to go tell the disciples, including Peter. Absolutely, that met Peter as well, but but there was this, this special relationship and Mark was hinting here at the possibility of a restoration and Peter would indeed be restored. Fast forward a little bit further. Jesus is alive. He's appeared to several now. John chapter 21, the disciples, they're fishing, they're catching fish, and they get off the boat, and Jesus has already prepared a fire where where fish has been cooked over the fire, and they're preparing now for breakfast, and Jesus says, why don't you all come have breakfast with me? Let's, Let's come and enjoy a meal together. So the disciples come over, and again, keep in mind, Peter really hasn't been restored or reconciled yet back to Jesus. And so Peter came, but probably very sheepishly. Again, still this this gut-wrenching feeling in his stomach, like, man, I screwed up big time. Does he even want me to have breakfast with him this morning? I mean, I denied knowing this man three times, and, and, and I said that I would stick with him, and I didn't. Failure, shame, and guilt This gut-wrenching feeling of disappointment filled Peter's life. Jesus invited them all, including Peter, to breakfast. And I love what happens in John 21. He pulls pulls them aside. Disciples are able to listen in and able to hear what's going on. And Jesus looks at Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord, I love you. But man, I screwed up big time and feed my sheep. Says it a second time, Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, I I love you, but man, I screwed up. I messed up. I am so sorry. Then feed my sheep, Peter. Listen to me. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And feed my sheep. Peter was restored. That restoration was only possible. That new beginning, that new life was only possible because there is a resurrection. Changes the trajectory of everything. I love that Peter denied Jesus three times, and three times Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And three times he said, Peter, feed my sheep. That was no ironic happening. That was significant to the restoration of Peter being welcomed back in. Peter, I know you messed up. I know you screwed up. Peter, I still love you. I created you. You are mine. You belong to me. Folks, that type of new life, that type of restoration, that is only possible because of the greatest day in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is a declaration to all of us today that it's not too late for a fresh start. It's not too late for new beginnings. It's not too late for a restored life. Maybe you're here this morning and you resonate with Peter. 
that sense of failure, guilt, disappointment, shame, and you feel like there's no opportunity for you, let me remind you of the greatest day in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection gives you an opportunity for new life. It gives you the chance for a new beginning. It gives you the opportunity for new hope. Resurrection can turn your sense of failure into a renewed passion for ministry. The resurrection declares that no matter how guilty you may be, no matter how many times you've royally screwed up, you are a child of the king and he wants and longs and desires to have a relationship with you. You are not too far gone. He wants to restore you and welcome you back in. The resurrection makes that possible. And folks, it's for this reason that Jesus endured the cross. Writer of Hebrews said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame wasn't joyful that he was going to the cross to be beaten and crucified. It was joyful because he knew what would result in his death and his resurrection. He knew that it would result in new life, new hopes, fresh starts, and new beginnings. Resurrection has given us an opportunity for a fresh start, new life in Christ. So my question for all of us in this room today, will we receive what he has made available to us? Are we going to continue to reject it? Choice is ours. He's made it available. The gift of salvation is free. There's nothing we have to do to earn it, nothing we can do to deserve it. It's a free gift. But what is required of us is faith. Faith in what he did at the cross. Faith that the tomb is empty. Because the tomb is empty, this is indeed the greatest day in history. Would you stand with me this morning? Don't tune me out just yet. I want to end with this story. One writer describing the resurrection of Jesus Christ described it like this. He said, think of Christ's resurrection as a store receipt. If you're in a department store and you buy some clothes, you should always ask for the receipt. Why? Because if you're still walking around the store, a plainclothes security person could stop you and ask, excuse me, can I look in your bag? If you don't have a receipt, you could get in trouble. So if somebody stops you, you want to be able to hold up your receipt and say, oh, plainclothes security guard person, trouble me not. Because this proves that this has been paid for and I do not have to pay it again. Resurrection is a giant receipt stamped across history for all people to see. It's a receipt that allows you to know that your future is certain if you believe in Jesus Christ. The only way that we can be certain of our future beyond the grave beyond death is if we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Jesus made it incredibly clear when he said John chapter 14 I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except 